The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Well, it is Science Week, and with me on the line, I've got two PhD students from the University of Melbourne, uh, Maddie Zurowski and Bill Dix, who are going to be talking about the work that they'll be doing with some of the country's top scientists at the Stahl Underground Physics Laboratory when it becomes operational. Uh, Maddie, first of all, good morning to you. Thanks for being on the program. Not a problem. Morning, Mitch. And Bill, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, first of all, I just have to ask, if I'm assuming you're in uh, metropolitan Melbourne, connected to the University of Melbourne. How are you coping with lockdown? And I suppose, how does science go? Um, does your research continue the way it did uh, during a lockdown, or do you have to change what you do? I might let Bill um, take this one. All right, Bill. Sure. Um, so we are under lockdown, but thankfully, at least some of our work has been allowed to continue in the lab. Um, so for the last year, whilst everyone else has been locked down and um, sort of not locked down, um, we've been able to keep a few things going on, which is it's certainly a different way of doing it in a building that normally has a few hundred people. There's about six of us in the very severe lockdown. Um, but thankfully, that lets us get some of the things done, especially with an experiment like SABE, which we'll be talking about, uh, where there's a lot of things that we have to get done soon. So that it's been very different, but... Thankfully, we've been able to keep going. And can I just find out what you're doing for your PhD uh, research? So maybe Maddie will start with you. Yeah, uh, the reason I let Bill take that one is because I'm very lucky in that a lot of the work I've been doing is simulation and data analysis. So whether I'm at the computer at home or at university, it doesn't make too much of a difference for me. But I'm basically simulating uh, different types of dark matter or background processes that our experiment might see to work out how well we can distinguish between the two. And, Bill, the work that you're doing in your PhD? So I've been working a lot more with the detectors that we'll be using in the experiment. And um, So we use very sensitive light detectors called PMTs, um, which stands for photomultiplier tube. Um, physicists aren't very original at naming things. <laughs> um, so I've been doing a lot of work on setting these detectors up and measuring their performance. Um, because once we put them in the final experiment, it's very hard to take them back out if we need to change something or fix something. So you've got to get it right. Um, can I ask you, well, first of all, we should probably just explain what is dark matter, particularly for people like me that have a bit more of a humanities background. I don't know who's best qualified out of the two of you to answer that. <laughs> I mean, my favourite answer for the question of um, what is dark matter is that even with a humanities background, you probably know about as much as we do. Uh, the problem is that we don't actually know what dark matter is. We think that there's something out there in the galaxy that doesn't interact with uh, regular matter in the way that we're used to. Uh, with a lot of very specific mathematical equations and things like that, we can calculate the mass of galaxies by looking at how fast they move uh, with telescopes and things like that. But the numbers that we come out with are very different to what we actually end up seeing. So basically there's a whole lot of mass out there in the universe that doesn't interact with light. And as Bill said, because physicists are very creative people, we decided to name that dark matter. I see. And what is the significance? So if you uh, determine what dark matter does, what does that then lead to in terms of research? I'm happy to have a go at this one. Yes. Um, 
I think ultimately, dark, it's, it's hard to tell what exactly dark matter itself will lead us, but I think it's a really important stepping stone into sort of our next theory. So currently in particle physics, our best theory of how everything works at the moment is called the standard model. And it works really, really well for most things. But we know there are a few things where it doesn't work, and dark matter is one of those things. So in the same way that you needed the predecessor of this model to make a computer, um, and you need the current version to make a quantum computer, one day we will need something that will need this next best theory of how the universe interacts and behaves. And dark matter will hopefully get us closer to that theory. So can you talk to me about the Stoll Underground Physics Laboratory? Yeah, sure. so um, that's a new lab that's kind of been in development on and off over the last couple of years. It's been kind of fun for Bill and I because we both started our uh, master's degree with the research group at around the same time that all the lab development was starting. But it's notable because unlike pretty much every other physics laboratory that does these kinds of tests, we're in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so it's deep underground. I think it's about a kilometer underground in the gold mine in Stoll. Okay. Um, and it's an ultra low background area. So uh, we've got special kinds of paint that have low radioactivity. We have to get to special suits and have a shower before we'll be allowed in, that kind of thing. And when you go 1,000 metres, a kilometre underground in Stoll, what do you actually do down there? Sure. So, um, you take this one, Bill. Okay. Um, so initially, the f- one of the first things we'll be doing is we'll be setting up experiments to try and measure what the radioactivity is like in this lab. Because as Maddie said, it's been built to be a very low background lab. Um, but even then, unfortunately, there'll be still be a few um, little radioactive events that we need to measure. So we'll be setting up experiments to test for that. We'll be then setting up our dark matter detector. And then it'll sort of be ongoing maintenance and upkeep from there for a few years. So a few years, so the research will take roughly how long, do you know? This is uh, definitely think... a question for Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I've been doing is working out how long we need to go to get the kind of significant result. Um, and I think it's going to be anywhere between three and five years, depending on how long it takes us to ramp up the experiment once we actually get in there. And you mentioned the Southern Hemisphere. What is the significance of that? Is that to do with the fact that the Southern Hemisphere is more isolated and there's less interference with your work, or is there something else at play there? Uh, There's actually something else at play that's very specific to dark matter, and that's that we expect it to see a kind of changing signal throughout the year. So we expect it to be higher in July and lower in December. So we'll see more dark matter events in our detector. Um, and the reason for this is similar to how if it's, you know, it's a rainy day uh, and the rain is kind of pointing towards you. If you're running through it quickly towards the rain, it's going to feel like there's more rain hitting you. But if you're running in the opposite direction, uh, it's going to feel like there's less. So basically, as the Earth moves around the sun, the direction that the dark matter is traveling changes. Um And so we expect this to happen regardless of whether you're in the northern or the southern hemisphere. So it should be exactly the same. But there's a lot of background processes that depend on temperature. So those will look the same as dark matter, but they'll be the opposite in the northern and in the southern hemisphere. So all of the other dark matter experiments have taken place in the northern hemisphere and can't necessarily tell the difference between those two, but we'll be able to almost immediately in the southern hemisphere.
And I read that you're going to be working with some of Australia's best scientists, senior scientists that perhaps have a long background of studying this field. Can you talk about how that's going to work, you working with them, and what's that going to be like? I mean... So I get, on. Okay. Um, so, I mean, Maddie and I are both quite fortunate that we're doing our PhDs with some great scientists in Melbourne that we're getting to learn from. But it, it really is a quite a unique opportunity having this lab here in that we're starting to there's starting to be a group of people with a range of different expertise forming that we can sort of learn from, including from interstate. So I guess it's it's really fortunate for young scientists in Victoria to have a facility like this. And I I'm personally finding working with these um, sort of established leaders very interesting and engaging. And I don't know uh, which one of you prefers to answer this question, but you're obviously the youth of science, you're PhD students, you're the next generation of experts. I'm just wondering how you feel about that aspect of it and sort of being the voice of young people in science. And I suppose the bigger question around that is, uh, how do we get young people engaged with science and make sure that the next generation continues to be as engaged as previous generations? Um, Like Bill said, I think... That's part of the thing that's really exciting about having our own lab so nearby compared to all of the ones that are in like Italy and uh, Canada and the U.S. and things like that is that actually being able to, you know, see the people that are doing this work without having to wake up at you know 2 a.m. to watch some kind of interview with them mm. um, will be absolutely huge to get people more interested in this. Uh, as well as that, it means that we've got access to uh, facilities close by. So I think that there's plans to do a lot of uh, work and outreach with the local students installed to kind of show them kind of the work that we're doing and hopefully get some of them interested that way. And I know for a lot of years people have been talking about trying to get, for example, school students to pursue STEM fields, fields that encourage the sciences. I'm just wondering, do you think that's working? Are we getting more people, and particularly young people, engaged with science now than perhaps what we were, say, a decade or five years ago? I, I think we certainly are. I mean, I've been very fortunate to help work um, with our work experience program that we have at the university. You get to meet a lot of really young, excited people. Um, and I, I think as sort of scientists, we're doing a much better job about getting people engaged and maybe showing people that science isn't just what's written in your textbook, but it's a method and it's this sort of journey to discovery. Because I, I think that's a lot more interesting than... You know, here's some things that were written down. You've got a test on Thursday. Mm, that's true. Look, thank you so much to both of you for being on the program, and I wish you all the very best, of course, with your PhD work, but also with this very exciting development. And I hope that over the coming years we're able to be proud of the fact that we've got this work being undertaken right here in Victoria, and hopefully it leads to a few big breakthroughs around dark matter and you know answering some of those questions about the universe that we don't understand. So thank you very much to both of you, and good luck with it all. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you yeah, very thank much. You. Uh, Maddie Zurowski with us there and Bill Dix, who are PhD students at the University of Melbourne, talking about this work that they'll be undertaking out at the Stoll Underground Physics Laboratory. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.